Morning, UECP. Uh, blessed Sunday to all of you. Our topic today will be based on John chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, and you can open your Bibles to those pages and follow along today's message. Now, we are still in the pandemic of COVID-19, and bad news is this crisis continues indefinitely. But indefinitely, uh, you have already discovered that we don't have an idea when the spread will end, when the vaccines will come out, and uh, when this uh, new normal will really be like, right? It's indefinite. Nobody knows. Nobody can speculate. We can just make wild guesses, but uh, no one can really give a deadline. And in the midst of this all, there are so many ungrieved losses. People have lost their jobs, source of income. People have lost family, loved ones, friends, and they cannot uh, go to a wake. Uh, everything is uh, difficult because everything has to be done quickly. Okay? The, the body has to be cremated and buried immediately because of the situation. There are also uncelebrated breakthroughs. Um, at least this month, I had two weddings I was supposed to do that was canceled. And so it is a situation where time seems to keep running, but life stops for all of us, right? Day after day, we count the numbers of seconds, minutes, and hours. Time just flows, but life stops for many. So one thing for certain in this season is that there are uncertainties, okay? Let me repeat that one thing for certain in this season is that there are uncertainties, we don't know what will happen to our careers. Um, I saw a post where this uh, airplane pilot uh, turned grab delivery man uh, because you don't know if you will still have your job after the ECQ or what the future holds for you. Businesses are in trouble. Loans are not being paid. Um, some are declaring bankruptcy. So we don't know what will happen. Schools also struggle whether to have regular classes or not. Uh, we will uh, be doing social distancing starting school soon. Uh, those are questions. And also churches and ministries are not allowed to gather. So this is really a season where there are uh, so many uncertainties for all of us. Okay, So because of these uncertainties, there is this growing panic and anxiety among our people. Okay, So may nagsabi sa isang post, um, aside from the COVID pandemic, probably the next pandemic is a pandemic of anxiety and depression because that is what is happening to the people with day after day, counting hours and days, waiting for this pandemic to end. A friend posted on Facebook, uh, meron po siyang uh, uh, thermometer gun pointed to his head and nakalabas po dun sa thermometer gun is... Um, need milk tea. Probably this is the cause of uh, anxiety for some of you because you are not able to do what you like to do and some of you really like to drink milk tea. Now, the, the challenge for us as followers of Jesus is how do we live by faith one day at a time? How do we move forward one day at a time waiting for us to be free 
from this scenario. And I remembered Jesus telling his disciples in Matthew 6, verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How do we live by faith one day at a time, holding on to the promises of God, awaiting the deliverance we so long for? And that is what we want to look at as we study our passage this morning. Now, we are in our series studying the Gospel of John. And it's important that as we study this book, we again remind ourselves of the purpose why this book was written, which was in John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, okay, which was mentioned two weeks back. And let me read that out loud with you again. John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. Again, let me read that once more. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John writes a supplement gospel, right? Because we call the Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic gospels. It is a, uh, there are many similarities among these three gospels. There are parallel accounts. They copied from each other and wrote to a different audience. But John uh, thought that it would be great to add a supplement book that focus on one subject alone, which is the deity of Christ, that Christ is the son of the living God, right? That's why he said in the purpose, so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And so we see why John writes his prologue in chapter 1, verse 1 and onwards, introducing Christ as the word of God, the word who is God, the word became flesh to introduce this Messiah, the Son of God, before he talks about the story of Jesus. Not only that, it is important for us to remember that he chose to write down signs that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. In today's passage, we focus on the first of the signs. Right, So when we read the book of John, we have to look at the word. This is the sign he performed. Now, so Jesus changed water into wine. That's the first sign. The second sign is the healing of the royal official son in Capernaum. The third is the healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. The fourth is the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, the fifth is Jesus walking on water. Sixth, healing of the uh, man uh, blind from birth. And the seventh is raising Lazarus to life. And these are seven signs that John specifically chose to highlight Jesus as Messiah, son of the living God. And he wanted to introduce Jesus in a very spectacular way. And he said in verse, uh, in chapter 20, verse 30, he says that there are more signs written, but he just chose these 
with a very clear purpose, to point out that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that those who read his gospel may believe and find life in his name. And I hope that as we look into this miracle, the first of the seven signs, you will be excited to know Christ, the Son of God, afresh. Let's pray. Loving God, we pray that as we uh, zoom in into this gospel truth about Jesus, the Son of God, through the turning of water into wine, that you will speak to us afresh, speak to us in our situation. Help us as we look to Jesus, our sure hope, the foundation of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in our passage today, Jesus saves the day. And literally, he saves a wedding from going uh, uh, into crisis, right? So you get married only once. And today, we know that marriages are very commercialized and very expensive. But people still go through the motions, do an extravagant, well-planned wedding because Marriages or weddings are deemed as very important because you only get married once in a lifetime. Okay? So, but behind the wedding preparations and the wedding stories, the nice videos, usually I will hear wedding horror stories. Okay? And these wedding horror stories you know, sometimes are challenges that the couple faces that sometimes they just simply want to call it quits or forget about it. No? Let me share a few horror stories from my own wedding many years ago. Okay, first thing was we were separated. I was in Singapore studying in seminary. My fiance is in the Philippines preparing the wedding alone. So first problem we encountered is our invitations were printed but there was a mistake in the Chinese character. Okay, and uh, the printer doesn't want to repeat the print. So solution was we had to cut small, she had to cut small words in Chinese and paste it in each of those wedding invitations. But that is not yet uh, the most horrible of stories. Two weeks before our wedding, our, uh, the one who did her gown disappeared, cannot be found. Okay, so that was uh, very scary. Many people tried to offer their old wedding gowns for her to wear in two weeks. It was not very helpful. Okay, but God pushed through. We prayed, and finally, the person turned out, and nobody knew about that story except close friends. And the final horror of our story was three days before our wedding, which was going to happen in open-air garden, it rained and rained and rained. It was monsoon season, and we are worried sick that on our wedding day, okay, it will be raining in open air. Now, everything seemed to go wrong, but we prayed and asked God to bless our wedding, and God was good that exactly on our wedding day, we had clear skies, good weather, and everything went through as we hoped God would give, right? Everything went so wrong, but by God's grace, everything went so right. 
God saved the day. Now, it's the same way in this story in the wedding at Cana, Jesus saves the day for this couple's wedding. Let me read to you from chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. Verse 5, His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. So Mary was there in the wedding, and he involved Jesus with the wedding horrors of this close family friend of theirs. How do we know it's a close family friend? Because you will not tell your wedding problems to people you are not close with. So for Mary to know the trouble that this couple is in, the disgrace that they will be facing means they were close family friends or even maybe relatives. So Mary involves Jesus by telling him the wine has run out. But Jesus responds in a very unusual way. He tells Mary, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now we might think that Jesus is disrespectful, but actually no, because in their culture, no, Gune or woman is simply a general term to address a woman. You can, you, uh, it's a common way like saying manang, ate. Okay, so it was something very common. It was not meant for disrespect. And he said his hour has not yet come, yet he performs this miracle. So what does it mean? Well, I would like to propose that the idea here is Jesus always held fast to God's perfect timing in everything. Jesus held fast to God's perfect timing in everything. We remember that when Jesus was 12 of age, okay, he disappeared. He stayed at the temple, and then Mary finds him and asks him, what happened? And he says, do you know that I have to be in my father's house? Do you know that I have to be at my father's business? And this might have reminded Mary at that time who Jesus is. Jesus is not only his son. Jesus is the son of the living God, and he has to do his father's business, right? So maybe in this particular situation, Jesus was reminding Mary, okay, you are thinking of earthly affairs, but I have to go about my father's business. My hour has not yet come. But Jesus saves the day anyway with a different clear purpose. Maybe not the same as Mary would have wanted, but it was what the Father wanted. So allow me to explain about time and timing. Okay, Time is chronos, chronological time, one minute, two minute, one hour, two hours, three hours, no? the, the sequence of time we go through. But timing 
God's perfect timing is when God does something at just the perfect time. It's like music and rhythm, right? Having music without reading doesn't work. It's like putting the climax of the story at just the right time. Okay? Every body waiting in anticipation. And John notes Jesus mentioning several times that it is not yet his hour until the final time Jesus mentions that now it is his hour to be crucified, to be handed over. So the Son of God, Jesus, was doing the Father's work and he had high value on the perfect timing of God in everything because he was to accomplish God's purpose. So Jesus held fast to God's timing, kairos, the perfect timing of God, not chronos, not chronological time. And so it was to wait for God's perfect timing for God to accomplish his purpose in Jesus. And you and I, in the midst of this COVID crisis as well, must learn to wait for God's perfect timing. And maybe the wait is long and dreary, but we trust that God's timing never goes wrong. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon wrote that there is a time for everything under heaven. God makes everything beautiful in his time. In Romans 8, it says that God works for the good of those who love him, right? And uh, the song, Trust His Heart, says God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. And we can be certain that God's purpose never changes, but it has to all happen in God's perfect timing. Yes, Jesus will save the day, but not because we say so, but because it is God's perfect timing. It is God's purpose that prevails. Now, I remember when I graduated from college, I was so eager to serve God. He said, Lord, I do not want to work anymore. I want to go into uh, full-time ministry immediately. And I was disappointed because God closed all doors. I wanted to go be a campus minister. It didn't work out. Um, family needed uh, financial help. Uh, several situations make me uh, reminded me, even in my quiet time, that no, this is not God's time. And I was frustrated for the closed doors. But when the perfect time came for me to go into ministry, no, all doors are suddenly open even doors that I would have never imagined. I would have never imagined to study overseas. I would have never have imagined to be supported with my studies and not worry about my family's needs. These are all about God's perfect timing. Now, key for you and I as followers of Jesus is to learn to wait on him. Be still and know that he is God. He will save the day. And when he saves the day, we will see a glimpse of his glory. We will see who he is, the Messiah, the Son of God. 
Second thing from this passage we can see is that Jesus confronted the false beliefs of his day. Last week, our speaker showed us a poem that says that despite we are not exposed to the coronavirus, we are exposed by it because we have seen the ugly side of our humanity. But we have also seen the good side of humanity as we are in this um, COVID pandemic situation locked in our homes. Now, we as Christians uh, should ask, what did Jesus do during his time? How did he respond to the situations when the ills of society are exposed? Allow me to read in verse 6, this passage. There were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons, right? If you uh, have a water dispenser at home, one tank is around five gallons. The Jewish purification uh, stone jars, it can have 20 to 30 gallons of water, meaning four to six of those big uh, tanks of water that we use. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water to the brim. And they filled them up until it's full no, to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now what hap is happening right here? Now another side of the Messiah we can learn from this passage is that Jesus both indirectly and directly confronted the false beliefs of the people of his time. In this case, indirectly. But at most times, it was also directly. For example, Jesus was very direct in confronting the ills of the Jewish society during his day. He challenged the religious class of their senseless legalism, following rules yet forgetting justice and mercy. He questioned the Jews of their love for titles and honored places. And why instead of being a blessing to the outcasts and the Gentiles, they have ostracized them and committed gross injustice. He showed them that their empty religiosity never brought them the righteousness that God requires, right? And that they were like sheep without a shepherd going astray to each his own way. Jesus had opportunities to confront his false belief in public or in private. And the payback was not easy for Jesus because they called him a friend of sinners. They accused him to be a servant of Beelzebub, a rebel leader, a threat to the relig ruling religious class, and they conspired to have him killed and arrested. It was not easy. In this account, Jesus uses six huge stone jars of water used for one specific purpose, Jewish purification rites, ceremonial washing. So the people, before they enter the wedding banquet, they have to wash themselves so that they were ceremonially clean. And Jesus made sure that the waters are filled to the brim. But he uses it for something else, to be filled with choice, perfect 
wine. Some scholars said that it was an indirect challenge saying that you can fill all these jars with water, but they will never wash away the sins of the people. You can wash every day as often as you want, as much water as you waste, as many water, it's around six times 30, 120 gallons of water, and yet it is never going to enough to be enough to wash sins away, right? And so that is what Jesus did. He filled them with water and used it for something else, for a celebration, a celebration of this union, a celebration of this couple. Okay, he provided for their need. What does it mean during corona season? What does Jesus expose of our lives? Now, you and I, we are called to be salt and light. Salt, as a preservative, is to prevent the world from decaying, right? It's also something that causes people to hunger and thirst for truth. Light, it dispels darkness, but more important, it reveals the truth. We are called to be salt and light of this world. Okay, not just to be there, because if salt loses its saltiness, what is, it is not, uh, sabi, sabi sa ni Jesus, it is of no use. It is better to put it, to fill up the potholes on the road, right? Because it is useless. And so it's light. If we put it under a bowl, then what is the use of that light? Recently, great apologist um, Ravi Zacharias passed away in just a very uh, quick time because of his physical condition. And what is wonderful about uh, the post about this man is not only was he an eloquent speaker, but this man is a man who truly loved people. He was not only ministering to people on stage, but he was also ministering to people on a personal level. And many people who were doing posts were sharing about their personal encounters with this man of God. He has raised up next generation of people who are so in love with God because central to his message of truth has always been the love of Jesus, the love of Christ. Not only did he find it when he was, uh, when he was, uh, when he committed suicide when he was a teenager, but he shared that love to others. That is what made him special as a man of God. Jesus saved, save, will save the day for us. Yes, indeed. But we are reminded today that as we wait, we are to be salt and light. Salt and light. But we cannot be salt and light without love because only by love can they know that we are really disciples of Jesus. Okay, Everything has to be done out of a sincere love for God and others. So that is the question. What does God expose of our society and how are we to be salt and light and how we can do it in love? Third point I would like to emphasize is Jesus 
surpasses the expectations of the people. Jesus surpasses the expectations of the people. Now, God always gives us enough reason to need faith. No, bibitinin kanya. He will not give it at one go, everything. No, you needed to have more faith. But he also molds our faith by the, an unimaginable display of his purpose and power. When God pulls through, it is usually in a very miraculous and amazing way. A wow. Now, I don't know if you have experienced God's deliverance or God's provision in the past in a significant way that he has proven himself to be faithful. And if you have, hold on to that because that is who God is. He is generous. He is extravagant. And usually he gives us with a wow, but not without testing our faith so that we learn to depend on him. You look at verse 9, it says here that when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. It was not enough for them to have enough wine for the celebration. Jesus gave them the best wine that wowed everyone who was present. Jesus did something impossible, something unimaginable. He turned water into wine. Now, the passage tells us that only Mary, the disciples, and the servants have known what has happened here, that it was Jesus who was responsible for it. The other people, they were not aware because his hour had not yet come. But you know, those who knew, they were shook within to the very core of their being because who is this man? And it was through this sign that he first reveals to them in a very personal way who he is, right? And so it's appropriate to be the first miracle in chapter 2 when Jesus was introduced in chapter 1 as the word became flesh. Because like the creator, he has turned nothing into something significant just by his word. Draw it. And it is now choice, perfect wine. And so it was like a picture of creation with the creator walking the face of the earth as a man. Wow, for these disciples, they are forever changed. Now, I remember, I think, uh, early this month, me and some of my colleagues in our organization, National Disciple Making Movement, were praying for an opportunity to help church planters reach their community. And so we said, what could we do for them? So we started to pray that with as, as God used five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000, that he will use our efforts to feed people and help the ministry. So... God's grace that after almost 30 days, 
we were able to uh, help with an initial target of 20 churches and 300,000 pesos, we were able to raise around 1.2 million and help around 70 churches and more than 2,000 families. It is really a wow because when God moves his people, he moves in surprising and significant ways beyond our imagination. It blows my mind even today. Now, if you are in the midst of waiting on the Lord, you can expect that when he comes to save us, he will do something great to reveal his glory. We may not understand now why this wait is needed, why the motions of struggle and pain, but later on when we look back to what God has done, we will be so, so amazed. Jesus will save the day, but you and I need to learn to trust him more and more each day. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And I have always loved this statement I took from a book. How can we serve the God who we do not love? How can we love the God who we do not know? And so it is our task to know Christ so that we can love Christ. And in loving Christ, we can serve Christ because one builds on the other. Now, how much do you really know Christ enough to depend and trust in him? How have you, during this time, explored your relationship more with Christ in a deeper way? That is our challenge. Yes, Jesus will save the day, but we must wait on him. Yes, Jesus will save the day, but we must choose to be salt and light. Yes, Jesus will save the day, but we must choose to know him and depend and trust him. Final point is that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples at the right time. We now get to the main reason for this first miraculous act that John recorded, a sign, the first of the seven signs, and it resonates loudly with the purpose of this book, right? And in verse 11, it says, the first of his signs, this is the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in now, note that it was for some of them the third day that they have met Christ. If you look carefully at John, it says on the first day, two disciples heard John the Baptist say when Jesus passed by, Behold, the Lamb of God. And they walked behind him, ran after Jesus. And Jesus asked, What are you seeking? And they said, Jesus said, Come and see. And so when they went with Jesus, they stayed overnight talking about talking with Jesus, getting to know him, and they realized who they're talking to. So on the second day, if you look at John chapter 1, Andrew will be running into his brother Peter and making his first faith confession, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. And so this wedding was actually just on the third day, on the next day. So for some of them, it was the third day that they have encountered Christ 
and their faith was still growing. They're getting to know what it means that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And their view of Jesus was being changed day by day. And you know, key here it was is what happens next to these disciples. After it says that his disciples believe in him, in verse 12 it says, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples and stayed there for a few days. What does it mean? Okay, Jesus took time after this miracle, this first sign was performed, to spend time to invest life on life with his first followers. And that is why they will never be the same again. This was just the beginning because Jesus will be spending more and more time with his disciples at each stage of their maturity. He influenced them. He spent time with them because Jesus didn't only want their conversion. Jesus wanted their transformation because he is calling them to become world changers, right? He helped them mature in this faith so that they will be able to respond to his call. And as their faith and commitment increase, he spends even more time with them to help them to be equipped to become fishers of men, disciples of Jesus. So what is discipleship? Discipleship cannot be separated from Christ-likeness, becoming like Jesus in every way. Because a disciple is a follower, not of you, not of me, but a follower of Jesus. That's why Paul told his disciples, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, follow Christ. So it's helping a person develop two things, the character and priority of Christ in increasing measure. It's to develop the character and priorities of Christ in increasing measure. That is Christ-likeness. And that is the goal of discipleship. Now, are you being influenced to become more and more like Christ in priority and character? And are you influencing others to do the same? Okay, to develop the character and priorities of Christ in increasing measure. Thank God that in my growing years, there were many people who invested in my life. Ati, ahinga, pastors, uh, lady pastors, who invested much in my life so that I was molded to what I am today. But I'm still a work in progress. A certain counselor, he influenced me to love Christian music and read books. Um, another person helped me to really love doing social outreach and missions, who became a missionary later. Um, my college discipler, a mis campus missionary, he really uh, looked into my life and um, dealt with issues and sin that was deeply hidden in my life. And then I have a pastor who mentored me in administration. I have pastors also mentor me in the spiritual aspect of my life. And it was really the blessing of God that as I saw them follow Christ, I learned to follow Christ. And I just hope that I may prove to be faithful as I imitate Jesus and make disciples for Christ. 
Jesus will save the day. It is not our problem. He will. And he will do it with a bang. He will reveal his glory to you and I. But you are called to make disciples, to make followers of Christ. Yes, Jesus saves a wedding crisis in this story. He did save the day, but that is not why he came. He came so that people may find life in his name. He came to lay down his very life to give us eternal life. COVID-19 is, is out of our control, but God is in control. Jesus reigns. Jesus rules. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is in charge of us and all that is happening around us. He will save the day. And our part is to find faith amidst the worries that plague us, to live out our faith for others to find this Jesus, right? To learn to live by faith one day at a time. Remember we said in Matthew 6, Jesus said, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is it its own trouble. That's verse 34. But you know what is written in verse 33? Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So as application, brothers and sisters, let's learn to wait on the Lord. Spend more time to hear from God, to pray and seek Him. Now join our prayer huddle every Tuesday night not to pray with brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage others in your small group. You try to wait on the Lord and listen as His family. Be still and know that he is God. In the midst of this wait, seek God. Second is we need to learn how to be salt and light in this fallen world, to confront what is false in our society, but not devoid from the principle of love. Third, we have to learn to trust and depend on Jesus daily, to know him, to love him, to serve him. And finally, we are to make disciples, to invest in others, and to point them to Jesus just like John did in his gospel. Because he wrote his gospel for one purpose, to point them to the signs so that they may know Jesus and find life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And the call for us today is to rise up. You are a child of God in Christ. You are his soldiers, onward Christian soldiers. He will be the one to save the day, but it is our task to march together in the midst of this crisis with hope that one day his glory will be revealed. May God strengthen your faith and help you to hold on and hold fast to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us 
through the first sign, this first miracle in the Gospel of John, that we believe not just an ordinary man, but Jesus, the Son of God. Help us to learn to wait on your perfect timing because we know that you are accomplishing your purpose in our world and we are to wait on you, to trust in you, and to lean on you. Help us, O oh Lord, to be salt and light as we walk, salt and light in this world as we walk in love. Help us to depend on you by learning to trust and obey. And finally, O oh Lord, help us, O oh Lord, to really be passionate in becoming a disciple and making disciples as we obey the mandate of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your reminder, and thank you, Lord, for being with us. Lord, you promised in the Great Commission that we can look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and you will be with us to the very end of the age. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.